It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire. You need Indeed. This Lockdown Podcast is brought to you by Home Chef. Now that the novelty of the new year has dwindled down, how are your resolutions coming? One of mine was to order less, take out, cook more at home. But I'll be honest, I haven't been consistent. That is until I found Home Chef. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify the cooking experience and without robbing you of the joy of putting a dish together yourself. I'm Pescatarian, and they cater to a variety of dietary needs. I had this super refreshing ginger sesame salmon, a beautiful trout dish, and a super comforting shrimp and vegetable orzo dish, all of which took me less than 30 minutes to put together. For a limited time right now, Home Chef is offering all of our listeners 18 free meals, plus free shipping on your first box, and Free dessert for life at homechef.com slash locked on. That's homechef.com slash locked on for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. Homechef.com slash locked on. Must be an active subscriber to receive free dessert. One, four, three. One, four, three? Or yeah, one and that's two? That's what I meant. One, four, three. Oh, one, four, three. Yeah, that's what I meant. <laughs> USC, baby. Hey, what's going on? Welcome to episode number 713. Yeah, that's what it is, I think, of Locked on Raptors for Tuesday, May the 12th. I'm your host, Sean Woodley of RaptorsHQ.com and uh, Basketball, a new podcast you can check out starring myself and Katie Heindel, who if you, of course, know from regular appearances on this show. Please go subscribe wherever you get your podcasts there. Uh, also, uh, note that today's podcast and all of the podcasts on the Locked on Podcast Network in May are brought to you by Built Bar, which we'll talk about more a little bit later, but let me tell you, I had the peanut butter this morning and it was freaking delicious. So uh, heads up for more Built Bar talk later on in the show. Uh, on today's show, we're having a lot of fun. Okay, we should probably start. It's the anniversary of something important. It's the anniversary of the Kawhi shot, which is lovely and wonderful. I think it's also the anniversary of many a sweep to the uh, Cleveland Cavaliers, but we don't have to talk about that. Uh, joining me to talk about the Kawhi shot and by extension... A very sort of overhanging what-if scenario that still, I think, dogs the minds of Toronto Raptors fans to this day as part of Locked On's What Ifs Week uh, over across the entire network. It is from uh, many things, but including some stand-up comedy, uh, regular appearances on the Confederacy of Dunks podcast. It is Catherine Niker. Catherine, how are you? I'm great. How are you? I'm excellent. I realized I forgot to plug your own podcast, which uh, is a bad hosting on my part. Oh, it's Maybe okay. I'll get you to do that right now. Please plug plug your own podcast. Uh, it's called the Buckets and Tea NBA Podcast. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, it's just a fun, silly little dive into uh, whatever's happening in the week of basketball. Uh, obviously, now we've been doing a lot about the last dance. And then throughout the summer, we're going to be reviewing a lot of uh, old basketball movies and just kind of keeping it light and fun until we get uh, regular NBA basketball again. 
it will be nice when that day comes. I don't know when that's going to be. The yeah. call with uh, Adam Silver and the players on Friday did not sound as though it was particularly cheery uh, and kind of spelled doom, I think, for fans, at least, in arenas for another year or so. But we don't have to talk about that today. We'll talk about happy things, <laughs> like the shot, before we get into the actual meat of the podcast. Catherine, how many times have you watched the shot on the internet today? It's probably a thousand for me. Yeah, countless times. I mean, today and prior to today, I feel like even when um, like TSN and Sportsnet were like sort of re-airing the championship run, I watched the shot multiple times and then NBA.com re-aired that game. And I feel like there's been a lot of me revisiting that game. Um, but it's yeah. it's amazing, and it's kind of like one of those moments we'll just have like forever in basketball infamy. It is really damn cool that one of the most famous shots in NBA history is off the fingers of a guy who played for the Raptors. Uh, however short his stay here was, it kicked ass. And I was thinking about this today, like, uh, and I know I've probably mentioned this on the podcast before because it's a daily podcast. I've probably mentioned most things I say <laughs> on the podcast before. But with Kawhi, it's, you know, it sucks that he left, obviously. It would have been awesome mm-hmm. if he stayed even just for one more year or five years or however long he wanted to stay in Toronto. But my thing is, is like I feel bad almost for Clippers fans because they're never going to get that Kawhi run, right? And, and I don't think Kawhi's ever going to match what he did last season. And maybe that's understating how good Kawhi is. He's ridiculous. Maybe he was going to go on another magical run this year with the Clippers. But I just feel like all of the individual moments from the shot to the three over Embiid in mm-hmm. game four of the Sixers series to the third quarter and fourth quarter in game six against the Bucks game, the fourth quarter against the Bucks in game five, like there's just so many moments where he was just like out of his gourd and unlike anything we've ever seen and all of the sort of narrative buildup of the Raptors not just for last season but for like the six seasons prior made it all that much more satisfying and I just don't think Clippers fans are ever going to get that so ha 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 uh, <laughs> enjoy uh, the the player who's not as good as Pascal Siakam as his as Kawhi's teammate on that team Paul George obviously duh uh, and uh, have fun with your trying to chase what the Raptors had with Kawhi for the rest of time or till the end of next season when he decides to come back to Toronto to hang out <laughs> with Masai Ujiri's family I don't know but uh yeah it's pretty cool to relive it all and uh lovely lovely stuff and that leads us into today's show Catherine where mm-hmm. like I said across the Lockdown Network this week all the shows are doing what if scenarios and looking back on things that kind of changed the course of franchise history whether it's a playoff game or a trade or whatever uh later on today we'll be doing a podcast with Brad uh, from the Too Much Hoops Patreon we're going to be talking about whether or, or what would have happened if Andrea Bargnani was good which uh, I'm sure will get real <laughs> depressing at some point But uh, today we are talking about, of course, maybe the biggest what if in Raptors history. What if Vince Carter hits the damn shot in game seven Um, and sort of the fallout from that, not just the short term impact with the conference finals that would have loomed against the Milwaukee Bucks, potential finals appearance against the Kobe Shaq Lakers, but also, you know, the, the following years where after that, things kind of fall apart horribly for the Raptors and Vince in their relationship, and within a few years, he's gone very unceremoniously. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's, Catherine, let's start with the the conference finals that loomed itself back in 2001. Of course, the Raptors uh, and the Sixers go seven. On the other side of the bracket, the Bucks took the Charlotte Hornets to seven, took them seven games to beat them. They move on to the conference finals, and they're sitting there waiting for the winner of that game seven, Raptors-Sixers. 
Do you recall like where you were watching that game, and do you have like lingering opinions about Vince Carter? Maybe this is what if Vince Carter didn't go to graduation? Uh, <laughs> because because I, I know if you're Charles Oakley, you think that's the reason that he didn't hit that shot, which is of course stupid. But yeah. Oak likes to talk, and that's fine. Um, but what were your sort of recollections of where you were for that game, what you remember of it, and your sort of feelings on whether or not, or what would have happened had they moved on to the conference finals? Yeah, I mean, it's hard to uh, not age myself every time I talk about Raptors throwback <laughs> stuff. Uh, yeah, I was in high school uh, during this run. I remember it very well. I was actually at the at game three when Vince went off for 50 points. I was in Amazing. the stadium. So, yes, I have very good memories. Uh, I will. Let's talk about the graduation uh, real quick. So, uh Vince Carter decides to go to his graduation ceremony, which by the, one of the worst coincidences of all time happens to be the same day as game seven versus the 76ers. He decides to go. He takes, you know, his own private plane. He goes there. It happens in the morning. And then he arrives back in Philly like a few hours before the game. And this is obviously like controversial. Like, why would he risk like fatigue like that? But when you kind of think about it, it's like, these guys are like they're out they're partying they're at clubs they're you know what i mean it's when i think about it it's actually kind of wholesome that he went <laughs> to his graduation because if he just like got like crazy drunk and was like super hungover like the night before uh game seven i don't think anybody talks about it yeah, no one probably knows about probably it. Probably no, yeah. I'm sure there were, yeah, like of the 15 or so, or I guess the 30 players overall between the two teams in that game, I guess 12 suit up each side, 24, whatever it is. Like, I'm guaranteeing at least one of them had a night before this. It was on a Sunday, if I recall, right? Yes. Like, yeah, and it's 2001. Like, I'm sure <laughs> no one's sleeping in a hyperbaric chamber to get ready for game seven. Right. Uh, and, and yeah, so, and also like last week, Alvin Williams was on the podcast and he mentioned, when I asked him about this, I was like, like, were you pissed off when uh, w when Vince went to graduation? He's like, I didn't even know. <laughs> like, we, we didn't have a shoot around or anything. He just like showed up to the game. And people started talking about it. And that so like if like the main backcourt partner of Vince Carter in that game didn't even know that he was gone. I'm going to say that it didn't affect things all that I much. Almost, it was like a one hour flight. I Come almost on. find that hard to believe. I mean, I'm not calling Alvin <laughs> Williams a liar, but it's like it was in the news a lot. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, hey, maybe uh, maybe that that spoke to some tension between uh, Alvin Williams and Vince Carter at the time. Just not, not on speaking terms. I don't know. I'm not here to. <laughs> or maybe he was just conjecture. like maybe he was just like blocking out a lot of the media and press. That's also possible. I'm going to go with that one yeah. because I don't want to disparage. The yeah, no, I of, don't. Uh, we all very recent podcast guest, <laughs> Alvin Williams. <laughs> Look, Alvin Williams is a former beloved Toronto Raptor, and I'm a comedian, so <laughs> we'll, we'll go with his word over mine. But I'm just yeah. I remember this being everywhere, and it was talked about for I want to say several days uh, leading mm -hmm. up to Game Seven because uh, the decision. For him to go to the graduation was out there. Um, and then, like, the day of the game, I remember, like, they were playing all this, like, footage. Like, they had some kind of camera crew there and they, like, filmed him at the graduation. <laughs> and so it, there was, like, a lot of hype about this leading up to the game. In, in hindsight, I don't think 
the graduation affected his game. I think if anything, that sort of takes away from just maybe the natural nervousness he had being in a game seven. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, that was like going back and looking at the highlights in the game, like the very grainy ass footage that's available mm-hmm. on YouTube. I mean, it's just like any other game seven. It's a lot like the game seven against the Sixers last year where everyone's nervous. There's very few guys who are trying to take the bull by the horns. AI was awful in that game, at least from the field. He had like 10 assists, but or 16 assists, I think maybe, but he was like eight of 27 from the floor. And it was just like what game sevens are even like last year when you had that Portland and Denver game seven, two insanely good offenses scoring like 90 points because everyone's scared and Mm -hmm. nervous and their shots are going up weird. And I think that's far more to blame for any misfortune that came upon the Raptors in this game than uh, a private flight on Larry Tannenbaum's jet (laughs) that got him into Philly like five hours before the game. Um, So we come to the shot then, Catherine. Mm -hmm. And obviously, we don't need to relive it. It's terrible. We all hate it. It sucks. (laughs) He misses it. Uh, You know, it seemed like a pretty good look. You know, when you go back and watch it, it is like completely wide open. He completely pump fakes Tyrone Hill out of his shoes. And he... It's just there to be made. The, o- but, the only yeah. thing I'll say about that, because I rewatched it this morning in uh, anticipation of this podcast. <laughs> so he does this uh, ball fake, but he's not in like a proper shooting stance. Like right. he, he almost doesn't have enough time to like really like gather his feet properly. So then when mm. he when he hits the shot, he's kind of like heaving it a bit. Yeah. Would you say yeah. like, I, I don't know. It's like he it's. Like when people say it's wi- like the shot's wide open, it's like he wasn't in like perfect form. Mind He's you, doing... I don't. You could say Kawhi Leonard wasn't in perfect form <laughs> <laughs> when he hit his shot either. But you know. Yeah, he's kind of doing like the Demar like one foot step back thing, yes. but without anybody draped all over him. Yeah, and uh, it, and it's a long yeah. two rather than mm-hmm. a three, which is just like. I mean, so early 2000s basketball, it's insane. Like, you look back at that whole era, and it's like, why are we constantly hitting long twos? Anyway. Oh, we had your pal Freddie on the podcast last <laughs> week to talk about game five of the previous series to this one against the Knicks. Right. And it is entirely Charles Oakley and Alvin Williams taking 20-footers. Yeah. It's exhausting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I just want to say that it's it's technically a wide-open shot, but not in the way you would think. Like, he wasn't like, yeah. why? It's not a practice jump. Yes. Yes. That's yeah. what I mean. So he misses it, and then, you know, all the fallout, and we'll get into the stuff that happens after this, but uh, the question is, do you think they win game or win, win against the Bucks in the next round? The Bucks go seven with the Sixers. That's a very tough series as well. Mm-hmm. Obviously, the Sixers come out and go to the finals and get pasted by the Lakers, as was expected. Um, I think it's important to note before we dive into this conversation that the Eastern Conference at this time sucks ass. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's very bad. The Bucks team is Sam Cassell, Ray Allen, Big Dog, Glenn Robinson, Tim Thomas. Uh, they got like Scotty Williams and Mark Pope playing a whole bunch in their front court. Uh, not a particularly stacked team. They basically have three good players. 
Uh, but that was kind of enough at this time. The Sixers had like two good players and only one that could score and they were fine. Yeah. Um, but so thinking about that Bucks matchup, they were the two seed that season. They won 52 games. They had a point differential that was about two times as good as the Raptors, like 3.14 points versus like 1.7 to the Raptors over the course of the season. Of course, the Raptors won 47 games that season. Did you have any sort of inkling at the time or looking back? Do you have any sort of feeling on what how that series might have gone? So I was always a believer that we would have beat the Bucks, but I don't know if that's just me and my bias Raptors bubble or not. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Because like I don't remember a lot of that Bucks team. Like I remember like Ray Allen was easily one of the best outside shooters ever, which is like obviously hard to contend with. But Vince was also at the time just in amazing form. And he shot like a record like at the time, like nine three-pointers in like a, a quarter or a half or something in, in that game three when he went off for 50. So it's like his outside shooting was pretty top-notch at the time as well. Plus we had like Del Curry coming off the bench. And then we also had a really tough front court with Antonio Davis and Charles Oakley. So, mm-hmm. and we also, I believe we had uh, JYD coming off the bench as well if i'm yeah. not mistaken so it's like we had really tough players as well so i just i don't know i feel like we get through that series i think so too because like if you look at that matchup it was really like the the, the positions weren't sort of evenly distributed i think the you could very easily say like th- one through three the bucks had the advantage i mean sam cassell i think as much as we love alvin and chris childs i think i take sam cassell even at his advanced age over those guys mm-hmm. and then like ray allen and vince was like i guess almost a wash i think vince probably had the slight edge there and then you know probably big dog robinson at the three is a problem because i don't know really know who's guarding him because they kind of ran well, childs and alvin as like the two two backcourt guys with vince at the three So I'm not really sure how they guard him. Yeah, and so Vince and Ray Allen would have both been the two guards. Is that right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, yeah. Oh, no, so Vince was more the three at this time because they they would start a lot like Childs and Alvin in the backcourt. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. I was just trying to think of who would be guarding Vince, but I don't know. I just – I mean, I think it would have been a series. I'll say that. Like, I Mm – you know, it's at least a six- or seven-game series – And then, I mean, in this hypothetical, if it goes to seven games, like Milwaukee has uh, home court advantage again. But Mm -hmm. uh, also in this hypothetical, Vince hits a game winning (laughs) 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 shot on the road. So maybe that wouldn't even matter. Um, I do think the front court would have been a problem for the Bucks because, like like you said, Antonio Davis was a monster at this time. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were starting uh, – who were they starting at the four? Yeah, they were starting like Scott Williams and Mark Pope together at the 4-5 and having Tim Thomas come off the bench. And I would imagine at some point they might have just started Tim Thomas because he was better than Scott Williams and Mark Pope, but – the like between Oakley and Davis and Keon Clark, who was playing quite a bit at this time, mm-hmm. and JYD, like I feel like they just had too many guys and would probably win that matchup as like brutish and elbowy as it would be. And uh, like the one thing I think that people should consider is the fact that Vince like owned the Bucks and over the course of the previous calendar year had scored forty seven and forty eight points against the Bucks at certain times. So the Bucks didn't oh really gosh. have anyone. 
to stop him. And the Bucks were not a very good defensive team this season either. They finished, uh, what was their, de- they were 20th in the league in defense out of 29 teams. Their offense was first because Ray Allen was a monster and uh, they realized threes were good, which I guess was smart in 2001. Um, True visionaries. So, yeah, they were a really good offense. The Raptors were a pretty good offense as well and they were sort of a middling defense. I kind of think the Raptors would have been able to score against Milwaukee pretty easily considering all the matchup stuff we're talking about. And then it would be a matter of can the Raptors kind of tighten it up enough like I don't feel confident picking either way because you know the series went seven with the Sixers Mm -hmm. and the Raptors went seven and the the Bucks and Hornets went seven it was all very extremely close just like a really tight morass of mediocrity in the Eastern Conference at this time (laughs) and so I kind of think I I would probably take the Bucks just because of home court but the Raptors very easily could have won that series as well and Vince was probably the best player so that's uh, that, that's something to consider. And then let's let's just assume they win and they go to the finals. They get absolutely just killed by the Lakers, correct? Well, my only thing is that I believe we did win at least one out of the two regular season games against the Lakers. Right. So, yeah, I think we get killed, but I don't think it's a total sweep. I think it's like a five-game series. Mm-hmm. That was what it was with the Sixers yeah. as well. Yeah, although that, that one game went into like double overtime. And so this is the thing with this revisionist hypothetical history (laughs) is that we miss out on the iconic Iverson stepping over Ty Lue moment. Yeah, and we, is it really we, worth we are it? we yeah. are currently <laughs> robbing the world of that. <laughs> um, but yeah, I do think we win one of those games at least. Yeah, I think that's probably fair. Uh, but they know. are. But I mean, that Lakers team is a far superior team. God, they're so good. Yeah. They had Horace Grant. They got Kobe, obviously, Shaq. Devin George is a rookie. Rick mm-hmm. Fox. Yeah. They, they would have uh, pounded the shit out of the Raptors. But yeah. uh, it would have been fun to make the finals. Uh, we're going to talk about these mm-hmm. sort of longer-lasting implications of this in just a second. But first, I want to tell people about Built Bar. Built Bars rule, and they're the best tasting protein bar you will find. It's a protein bar that tastes like a candy bar. 16 amazing flavors, 8 chocolate nut flavors, 8 chocolate nut free flavors, and many more new flavors on the way. Bars are covered in 100% chocolate, and they're soft and easy to chew. Kind of like a Mars bar is kind of what I'd compare it to, except it's much healthier. Built Bars are great for the health-conscious person. Lose or maintain weight while you indulge in a delicious treat. Bars are low-calorie, low-sugar, high-protein, and high-fiber. For example, the peanut butter brownie flavor has 20 grams of protein, 170 calories, 3 grams of sugar, and 3 grams of net carbs. While the mint brownie has just 15 grams of protein along with 110 calories, 4 grams of sugar, and 5 grams of net carbs. And all told, Built Bars have 7 times less sugar than a Cliff Bar. 7 times! That is absurd. Go to BuiltBar.com and use the promo code LOCKEDON and you'll get 10 bucks off your first order. Use the promo code LOCKEDON for $10 off at BuiltBar.com. And yes, they do deliver to Canada. The NBA playoffs are right around the corner and Locked On NBA is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late season drama. Every Monday, Jackson Gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league, helping to break down the NBA playoffs. Mark your calendars to listen to Locked On NBA every Monday to be up to date. Locked On NBA, available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Uh, All right, Catherine, let's continue on here. 
with our uh, what if scenario. What if Vince hits that shot um, and sort of look at the near term, like the next two, three, four years leading up to the time around which he's traded to the Nets in 0405. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. This is weird to me. I, I don't know how things would have played out, obviously. And I kind of think maybe things might have gone the same way anyway, just because the Toronto media at the time was so just like, I don't know, hockey poisoned. (laughs) And there was still, I think, (laughs) this impression of Vince being soft. And maybe Vince hitting that shot eliminates all of that. And people just assume, oh, this guy's a killer. He's a winner. He's wonderful. But the really interesting thing, and we talked about this with Alvin last week as well, is that part of the 2001-02 season where they lose 17 of 18 with Vince healthy, then Vince gets hurt and sits out the remainder of the season, and they finish the year 14-2 and two or something like that and squeak into the playoffs without Vince, and they take the Pistons to five, to five games in the first round and almost advance to the second round without Vince. And I still worry that that stretch of not Vince not being there and just the discourse, capital D, that would have come out about Vince like not being part of the team as they went on this big run right off the heels of a 17 and 18 game losing streak like I don't know I feel like that still might have been the death knell for Vince in Toronto but I don't know what do you think how would we have perceived Vince how the media how would the media have perceived him had he just made that shot and and things ended much more uh, happily in 2001 I think if we uh lose against the Bucks then the following year might play out in a very similar way but if we made it to the finals like like even just like this year remember that the energy in this city just making it to the finals was like i don't know i think at that point you just you give vince whatever he wants you let his mom park wherever she wants like it's just all these ridiculous issues between him and management it's like you just let let him be a diva, you know, like I, I kind of wish, um, you know, we could have treated him in a similar way we treated Kawhi. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Just like, I mean, obviously, like that just wasn't the culture back then. But if we had, then I think he would have been happier and then probably would have played harder when uh he was healthy enough to do so mm-hmm. um but i remember that run that we made at the end of that season leading up to the playoffs and i felt like the rest of the team had a real like fu kind of attitude and and chip on their shoulder and then um we lose that first round series to uh detroit and but it was close like we could have won it and then i think like chris childs made like a horrible play in like the oh, last he minute sure did. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> and then there was talk that like oh like if we can get to the second round vince could come back in like game two or three of that semifinals, and then of course that changes everything as well so i mean I don't really recall why Vince became so jaded in that season. Yeah, it's tough, right? And I think, again, I think the media and I think the guys on Sportsfeld have made this point this week. Go listen to Sportsfeld, part of the Stringer oh, Labs love, podcast love Sportsfeld. network. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they're they're great, and they talked about just sort of how this time so many people covering the team are hockey guys, right? Mm-hmm. And I, I really think just like the hockey poisoning that we still see today in hockey coverage probably bled into the coverage of the team quite a bit. And it'd be pretty hard, I think, if you're Vince to avoid that. 
And so you have like these like dyed in the wool hockey dudes being like, oh, this guy's soft, whatever, blah, blah, blah. He can't mm-hmm. win. And I just feel like it would have graded on him at some point. And, you know, the media shares, I think, in driving him out of town, I think the team itself, too, was not very well built. And that's kind of the sneaky thing about those good playoff teams is that the process behind building them was whack as hell like they traded away young players for old they traded away high picks for young guys yeah. you know the, the the Jonathan Bender for Antonio Davis trade ended up working out well because Jonathan Bender was a bust but the idea of trading when you're an expansion franchise the fifth overall pick for a big man in his 30s is insane but they mm-hmm. did it <laughs> and like the timelines with Vince and everybody else just did not line up at all and so by the end of that 02 season you kind of see the end of a lot of those fun good players who made that sort of very interesting supporting cast. You see Charles Oakley leaves, he goes and signs with the Wizards, you lose Keon Clark, you lose Chris Childs, and the roster they roll out in 0203 is just dog shit. And maybe they go about it differently if Vince is healthy for that stretch run, but I don't think they do. Like they made the playoffs anyway. I don't know why that would have changed the outlook of the team, you know, they had lost a bunch of games with Vince healthy that season too. And so I, I don't know if they go and just like re up and you can't re up a 37 year old Charles Oakley. Like that's just stupid. You yeah. can't go and do that. Yeah. And so they kind of painted themselves into this corner where they and like had, a lot of the one year contracts we see now just weren't as much of a thing back then. Either. Exactly. Yeah. And so they kind of paid themselves into this corner where you have this like pretty good core of you know good players to compliment Vince Carter, and then all of a sudden they're super old, and you have nothing to replace them coming up behind, outside of like you know Morris Peterson, and that's about it. And, and so they kind of screw themselves that way. Um, so that like that to me, and I feel like you're still in line to get like Rob Babcock in there, which mm-hmm. God just. Like, <laughs> Maybe if Vince is like more positively perceived by the fan base and the franchise at that time, maybe they listen to him and take Andre Iguodala instead of Hafa Arujo in the 04 draft. But I don't think so. Like I, I just feel like they were set on bungling this, and like this, the organizational structure just was not in place for them to survive long term with Vince as the main guy. But do you disagree? No, I don't disagree at all. And I think like even if. We did, in a hypothetical world, make it to the finals. That doesn't necessarily mean that our front office was smart and strategic enough to make certain moves so we don't enter a full rebuild. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, yeah, like, uh... I think a full rebuild was, like, inevitable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that, again, if you didn't trade away all those damn picks in the late '90s, maybe that wasn't the case. But <laughs> I, I, I guess that was the. Uh, the I and mean, then also, was doing that we, though, we right? lost. Yeah, and then and then Lenny Wilkins was fired. Yeah, Kevin O'Neill. Good God! <laughs> Good God! No, thank you. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I guess, like yeah. I don't know Sorry, if things. Ahead. No, I was just like uh, sticking to the hypothetical thing, like. If uh, if Vince was sort of given uh, a say, like a bigger say in what was happening in the, in a similar vein, the way like LeBron James is like almost a GM himself. Yeah. It's like, I wonder, like, would Vince have made different decisions? I think almost certainly, because not to speak <laughs> ill of the dead, Rob Babcock <laughs> made bad decisions. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like. I just think like if he had sort of the superstar treatment that superstars get today, Mm -hmm. then I think he would have been happier and would have maybe even been more willing to go through a one to two year reset. 
mm-hmm. in terms of going into like a new era because then like then he becomes the vet you know what i mean yeah, yeah. so but i mean we're talking an entire culture shift here so I also wonder, too, how, like, the shortness of contracts came into play early on here, too. And I know they got Vince re up to a new deal, and it used to be, what, three years before you could leave or two years before you could leave? Mm-hmm. Um, and, like, I can't imagine how much stress that must have put on just the team-building process. So, so maybe that's the reason why they go and make all those deals in the late 90s, because they're like, shit, we have this amazing player. We should probably try to keep him around. Uh, let's go and get really responsible with our money, with our picks and stuff, and go trade for Antonio Davis and get Charles Oakley and all this stuff. And so maybe that informs that decision-making. Mm-hmm. And maybe in an era where you have more time before you have to worry about upcoming contracts and whatnot, you have more time to sort of let it play out. Um, but that kind of goes back even all the way to the beginning of the Raptors setup where it was always going to be hard for them to be good with any sort of consistency early on because, you know, they weren't given the chance to have a high pick higher than fifth overall. And, you know, the, the, just the, the expansion setup because everyone was scared of the next expansion team becoming the magic where all of a sudden they have Penny and Shaq in like two years and bam, like they're amazing. I think the fear of that happening for another expansion team kind of set the Raptors up behind the eight ball a little bit. And just all of the economic factors that play there too, I think kind of hurt them. But um, ultimately I think he probably ends up getting traded around the same time anyway, just because of the, the noise about him being soft and the way 0102 ended and all that stuff. Um, We'll, we'll continue talking about this in just a second. We're going to go into sort of the grander implications. And the, the big question is whether or not the Raptors win the title last season. If Vince hits that shot, because the butterfly effect is fun to talk about, but we'll get to that in a sec. <laughs> First, I want to tell everybody about Blinkist, which is the most useful app you're ever going to have on your phone. It's hard to find the time to sit down and read and learn more, especially now when, you, yes, you're at home and you have time in theory, but you have children to worry about and you have to uh, work and do Zoom calls all day. So it's hard to find time to sit down and work on personal development, but there is an incredible app that solves that problem, and I highly recommend it. It is called Blinkist. Blinkist is unique and works with your phone, your tablet, or your web browser. Blinkist takes the the best key takeaways, the need-to-know info from thousands of nonfiction books and condenses them down into just 15 minutes that you can read or listen to. Successful people like business leaders are well known for how many books they read. Blinkist is made for busy people like you who want to get the main points of a book quickly so you can start using that info right away. And with its audio feature, Blinkist makes it easy to finish a book during your commute, on your lunch break, while you're doing exercise, dishes, whatever it may be, while you're at home. 12 million people are using Blinkist right now, and it has a massive and growing library from self-help business and health to history books. Blinkist has the latest titles from the bestsellers list, as well as the classic nonfiction titles you always meant to read, but you never had the time to do. And again, it's great because you can use Blinkist at home when you're making, doing dishes, making dinner, all that good stuff. The stuff that, you know, you're it's often lost time and Blinkist helps make that lost time into useful time. Of course, there's lots of great popular classic books available, including Upheaval, Turning Points for Nations in Crisis by Jared Diamond, which is uh, oddly apt at this moment in time. You've got The 4-Hour Workweek by Tim Ferris, And on the sports side of things, you've got Tiger Woods by Jeff Benedict, as well as The Sports Gene by David Epstein. With Blinkist, you've got unlimited access to read or listen to a massive library of condensed books, nonfiction books, all the books you can handle for one low price. Right now, for a limited time, Blinkist has a special offer for just our audience. Go to Blinkist.com NBA and try it for free for seven days and save 25% off your first subscription. That's Blinkist, spelled the B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T, Blinkist.com NBA to start your 
your seven-day trial, and you'll save 25% off, but only when you go to Blinkist.com NBA. The NBA playoffs are right around the corner, and Locked On NBA is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late-season drama. Every Monday, Jackson Gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league, helping to break down the NBA playoffs. Mark your calendars to listen to Locked On NBA every Monday to be up to date. Locked On NBA, available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, Catherine, let's wrap this up with uh, a look at the big question. Do the Raptors win the 2019 NBA title if Vince Carter hits that shot and sends the Raptors on a whole different trajectory? <laughs> so many things to consider here, obviously. You've got Vince getting traded away in 0405 after the relationship sours. You've got the Chris Bosh situation. Is Bosh more likely to stick around and prolong maybe the Brian Colangelo era if he has Vince Carter to play with? If they take Andre Iguodala in the 2004 draft and pair him with Bosh? Do the Raptors even have Masai Ujiri come in at any point? Do they stick with Brian Colangelo until he gets caught for being a weird online guy? Uh, what are your <laughs> What are your early impressions here of whether or not the Raptors win the 2019 title if Vince hits that shot? Uh, yeah, I still think we win it. Don't you? Yeah. I, I mean, here. okay, here's my argument for yes, we still win it. Because uh, I think the LeBron, Dwayne Wade, Chris Bosh to Miami uh, scenario was set in motion probably much longer than we, the public, know. Right. Like, I just think that was set. And I think Chris Bosh here in Toronto never getting out of the first round of the playoffs why wouldn't you go join LeBron James? You know what I mean? Like, I just don't see a a world where Chris Bosh stays in Toronto and he doesn't get out of the first round of the playoffs. Like, that whole era would have to be different between the time he's drafted and, I guess, 09, 2010. Mm -hmm. Like, those that stretch of, like, six, five years has to be completely different. Yeah, it certainly requires Vince not to get traded, which, again, like I talked about last segment, I think he probably does anyway just because of the confluence of events and everything that goes down from leadership on down. But I guess there's a world in which he does stick around and the relationship is mended and him and Bosch just form this very formidable one-two. I just think... You're probably right in that Bosch still probably goes to Miami anyway because of a couple of reasons. I mean, you have, by this time, the Celtics come in, and they're just certainly a better team than a Vince mm-hmm. Bosch team with whatever Europeans uh, Brian Colangelo and Maurizio <laughs> Gerardini bring in uh, to complement the roster. Um, and I think you probably as well are looking at Vince, who, by, and I know he's still playing at the NBA right now, so it's hard to imagine this, but by the time 2010 comes around, he's 33. And is kind of moving into that back part of his career where he's more of just like a high-end role player. And I, I wonder if you're Chris Bosh, you're sitting there thinking, yes, this was a nice run with Vince Carter. Maybe we made some you know, second and third round runs over the course of the last few years. Maybe we never traded for Jermaine O'Neal, uh, which would have been lovely. But mm-hmm. I, I still think 
you know, because of the way leadership all went, I still think you probably get Colangelo in there at some point because Babcock was such a disaster. I still yeah. think you probably get Bargnani getting drafted first overall, or maybe you don't. Maybe that. Ev- well, I mean, if, if you're talking, if you're talking about <laughs> if Vince stays, yeah, and we have a Vince Bosch era, then no, we wouldn't have Bargnani. I mean, he might go fifteenth uh, overall because no other <laughs> sane-minded team takes him, but. <laughs> But I don't think we have the number one draft pick as well. That's I'm true. Saying. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, they yeah. shouldn't have had it that year either, by the way. What terrible luck to be eighth overall and win the first overall pick. Uh, <laughs> God, what a nightmare. Uh, um, but yeah, but I mean, later uh, on in the next episode. <laughs> I think like a Vince Bosch uh, Calderon era is kind of interesting. And I think that team is a first to second round team. But I, mm-hmm. I don't. Yeah, like you said, like you're not getting past Boston in that era. And, or LeBron. Or LeBron. Yeah, you're not getting past Cleveland or Boston. And uh, yeah, I just, I still think Bosch leaves. I also think there's a real chance that the escalation of the these guys are soft narrative, it, it, it's with the Pistons existing at that time. Mm. And like making all those conference finals runs, which you forget, but they were in the conference finals like six straight years. Mm -hmm. Like if the Raptors ever came across that team with Ben Wallace and Billups and Sheed and Tayshawn and all that stuff. Like I feel like even if they have Vince and Bosch, those two get whipped around like ragdolls. And then the whole these guys are soft and can't win narrative starts up once again all over. Um, and so I think I'm with you. I think Bosch leaves in 2010 anyway. Yeah. You know, assuming some crazy shit doesn't happen with draft picks that ended up working out or whatever, which we can't really assume. But, um, yeah. And then like Vince, by the time he's 33, maybe it's just like, okay, you, you, you gave us a run. You gave us an entire decade plus with the team. You're 33 now. Go ahead and go try to win a chip somewhere. Maybe it's just like a much more uh, relaxed and calm ending to that whole relationship, and not uh, a horrible, horrible divorce that we're still thinking yeah, about for ten years afterwards. It's, it's probably still a really bad trade, though. <laughs> oh, absolutely. <laughs> Colangelo's dealing him for like Julian Wright and Jared Bayless or something like that. Uh, yeah. Although Vince being on that uh, that Hornets team with Chris Paul would have been pretty cool. Oh, yeah, yeah, that would have been cool. All kinds Um, of alternate history on this podcast. Yeah, and then the other major (laughs) alternate history with this is that um, we probably don't draft DeRozan. Yeah, that's true. But I do think if we, in this alternate history, if we have Masai, then you still end up with guys like Siakam and Fred Van Vliet, and he still makes the Kawhi... Well, I guess he doesn't make the Kawhi trade because he doesn't have somebody like DeRozan. Yeah. Or maybe so there's some other, like, maybe Sonny Weems get, becomes the DeRozan. Uh, <laughs> yeah, only one of maybe. them could, th- could thrive, like twins in, u- in utero. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I guess, like, yeah, that's that becomes the great what if is who do we trade for, for Kawhi? Who knows mm-hmm. who we would have instead? Um, yeah. But I guess the point is, like, I think Masai probably comes in at some point. He was with the team. Like, there was that connection there. It still resonates the whole I'm home thing with him. Like, that would still, I think, be the place he's trying to get back to, even when he's with Denver. Mm -hmm. And then you have, you know, Colangelo probably overstaying his welcome at some point after the Bosch era and still signing Linus Klaza and still trying a (laughs) bunch of dumb shit. Maybe he doesn't sully his reputation by getting Hedo, or maybe that's what drives Bosch and Vince Carter away. I don't know. Uh, (laughs) But, yeah, I I still think... 
you know, lots of things have to happen, obviously, and the the it's like twenty years in in between, and so it's tough to really uh, assume. But I, I do think the the situation. This is probably the best way to put it. The circumstances under which the Raptors won the title, where they have Kyle Lowry and they have uh, Masai Ujiri, probably end up leading towards something resembling title contention, if not exactly in the same form as it happened last year. Does that make sense? Yes, I agree. Right on. Uh, Catherine, this was a lot of fun. Uh, Do you have any parting shots at all or any last lingering thoughts about whether Vince ruined Raptors history or not by missing that (laughs) shot? (laughs) Uh, No, I don't think he ruined Raptors history. But going back to the very beginning with Kawhi hitting his Game 7 shot, it just just felt destined to win Mm -hmm. it all last year, you know? Like, we just – we had – you know certain moments of luck that just like came our way every time Mm -hmm. and uh uh, yeah i just think we were somehow destined to win last year yeah i'm not sure i totally believe that until they survived those six plus minutes without kyle in game three against milwaukee um once that happened it was like that was some extremely charmed shit that should not have happened at all When we lost the first two games against Milwaukee, I, I'll admit I was part of me went into my old sort of primitive Raptors brain, if you will. <laughs> it was just like, well, that was a good run, you know. <laughs> the brain um, that Vince is responsible for creating all the way back in one. Exactly. Oh, and then all these guys showing up like Damon Stoudemire and Chris Bosh and suddenly like being real nostalgic for the Raptors days. And I'm just like, I remember you couldn't wait to leave. <laughs> you know, like all these guys, I remember how much you couldn't wait to leave. So it was like very funny and interesting to see them suddenly be all nostalgic about their time in Toronto. But yeah. I guess that's what comes with winning. Yeah, keep on crawling back, Tracy McGrady. Uh, <laughs> we're not buying it at all. Uh, Catherine, I'm, a, I'm buying this podcast appearance by you big time. This was lovely. Thank you Thank so much you. for coming on the show. Where can people find your work? Uh, you can uh, find me on Twitter at it's me underscore Catherine. Uh, came up with that before I knew underscores were annoying. So <laughs> <laughs> tap on your phone twice to get that underscore in and find me on Twitter. Yeah. Amazing. Uh, you can find me at Woodley Sean, of course. Please subscribe to, rate, and review this podcast wherever you get your podcasts. It's much appreciated. Also, go listen to uh, Basketball. New episode coming this Thursday with myself and Katie, so stay tuned there. Katie will be on later in the week as well for another What If scenario, so keep an eye out there. On Wednesday, we'll be doing What If Andrea Bargnani wasn't, or was good or didn't suck, however you want to word it, uh, with Brad from Too Much Hoops. It's going to be lovely, so uh, tune in for that on Wednesday. And uh, that's about it. Thanks to Built Bar for sponsoring the podcast. Thanks to Blinkist for sponsoring the podcast. And that's going to do it. We will talk to you again on Wednesday with another episode of Locked on Raptors. Hey, Prime members. You can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.